Everybody ready for some word? Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah the 29th chapter. I want to continue today with a series that we began just a few weeks ago entitled More Than Anything. Are you ready for some more of this? Anybody? 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 Come on, we're a responsive church. This isn't that dead church you used to go to. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13 reads, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. To review what we've said before, who finds the Lord? Well, those who seek Him. But how must they seek Him? With all their hearts. Not a half-hearted effort. Uh, A half-hearted effort does not succeed in finding the Lord. So we know if we are going to find Him, we must seek, but we must seek wholeheartedly with all of our hearts. Praise God. And then this same verse now from the Message Bible reads, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Praise God. And then the Amplified Bible reads this way, then you will seek me, inquire for and require me as a vital necessity. And when, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Again, there are some qualification factors on how we are to relate to, seek after, and pursue the things of God. They cannot be done in just a casual, non-serious way, but we must recognize the very importance of which these things um, have and the place they are to hold in our hearts and in our lives. And when we recognize and give God His rightful place, and it's a weighty place, it's a heavy place, it's a serious thing that we're talking about, then we'll find something and we'll be satisfied. We will get what we're seeking. We will find what we're looking for. And again, God's word is, you'll not be disappointed. Amen. How many know there is not a person who has given all their hearts and sought after the Lord with all their life and has come away disappointed? There is no one who has truly connected with the Lord, who has a relationship with Him where there is a a flowing in and a flowing out uh, that has come away from that saying, God is boring or uninteresting or a waste of time. No one gets involved with the things of God and truly has a connection goes and goes away saying, I wish I would have done something else. Because I tell you, the Lord is not dead boring, unproductive. He is alive. He is gracious and kind. He is the very essence of life itself. And every person who finds and discovers Him in His fullness and in accuracy comes away saying, He's good. (laughs) Oh man, (laughs) I don't think life can get any better than this. And if there's an absence of that in our lives, I tell you, we probably ought to adjust our seeking. We probably ought to 
alter our methods of calling on Him. Because if we'll do it His way, we'll absolutely be satisfied today. Now last week, I I, I finished with some of these thoughts. That there should be no alternatives in our hearts toward God. No options. We should not allow options to exist. His ways must be the only ways. All right. Once I discover what he has said about anything, it then must become the only thing. If I let my old life and my old way of thinking and the ways of this world exist as perpetual options on the table every day, man, my flesh is going to gravitate toward them. I'm going to default towards natural, fleshly things. And in, in, in the midst of that, what happens is I am cutting off and canceling out the operation of grace. And so I discover and find who God is, what He has said, and then He becomes the only thing for me, the only one, the only way, the only truth. Everybody with me now? Only then, in that absolute state, does His grace have an opportunity to work in and through my life to surround me with every good thing because I'm relying on it, because I'm relying upon Him. Because I'm saying sink or swim. Because I'm, because I'm in a position where I'm not going to have a backup plan if God doesn't come through. Because God always comes through. When there's no backup plan, if He doesn't come through. Everybody okay so far? We do not arrange a way out in case God fails. There is no God fails. Hallelujah. There's some language used in the New Testament, uh, Galatians chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 12, about falling from grace. You ever heard that language? Falling from grace. Or another place in, in Hebrews there, falling short, coming short of the grace of God. And sometimes people have used that terminology when, you know, they see someone uh, fall into sin or get off track in their life and they say, well, they have fallen from grace. That's really not what that means. It, it doesn't mean that a person loses their salvation, that they lose their relationship with God, but it does have to do with when an individual stops relying upon fully the grace of God to to forgive them, to give them relationship with the Father, to sustain their life, to heal their body, to provide for their needs. When someone begins relying upon their own efforts, their own righteousness, their own works, they depart from, they fall from, they come short of the grace of God. That's why we must see these principles and truths in not in a gray area, in a kind of maybe but in absolute terms of black and white. And we say, it is all God every time. He always comes through. He's always there for me. I will lean upon Him completely. If He doesn't catch me, I'm, I'm going to hit the ground. That, that type of trust, that type of reliance on Him. I don't want to have this, this mixture of the flesh and the world inside of my relationship with God. Okay? In other words, I don't want to have a bunch of options that I put on my plate every day. What am I going to choose to do? No, I've already chosen. I've already decided. 
It's all Him. And I'm going to seek Him seriously. I'm going to, I'm going to treat Him with a, a seriousness, a, a weightiness, if you will, uh, that, that doesn't exist in anything else in this world. Okay. Now, go over with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. I encourage you all to uh, have your own Bible. That's a good idea. Don't take my word for it. Look at it yourself. Be familiar with the things the Lord has said. Some of you are digital these days. Great. Whatever works for you. But nowhere nowhere scriptures are that speak to you, that help you, that you can use and you will need to use at times in your life. Remember, Jesus was tempted. and, And when he was tempted by the devil, he pulled out scripture, didn't he? He didn't quote the latest football score. Right, I mean, nothing wrong with that, but it's just not important. Sorry to ruin your day. <laughs> but there are some things that really matter. And knowing the will of God, the ways of God, the Word of God, these things are important. Titus chapter 2, and I want to begin reading over here in verse 6. Uh, it says, In a similar way, urge the younger men. Now let me stop right there for a moment. If you read in this passage, she talks to older men, uh, younger men, older women, younger women, and gives them specific instructions. In one sense, we can see that what we're about to read here and about to say is applicable to everyone. But whenever you read a scripture that addresses a certain group, it's probably true that that particular group has a greater tendency to do the opposite of what they ought to do in regards to that statement. Okay? Any younger men in the house? Come on, there should have been a lot more. Some of you guys are getting old in your mind. There should have been a roar. All right, but he's addressing younger men. It says, in a similar way, urge the younger men to be self-restrained and to behave prudently. Look at that. Taking life seriously. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible here. I didn't tell you that, so that's why some of you don't follow along, right? Taking life seriously and show your own self in all respects to be a pattern and a model of good deeds and works, teaching what is unadulterated, showing gravity, having the strictest regard for truth and purity of motive with dignity and seriousness. Again, we see a couple times in here the word used seriously, seriousness. Remember, taking life seriously. This goes back to our text in Jeremiah, how those who would get serious about the things of God would find the Lord. Now, again, he identifies, again, young men here who probably then, I can just see from this scripture, and I can see by life experience, being there and observing those who are there, there is more of a tendency for young men to not take the right thing serious. There is more of a leaning towards being too jovial about important matters. And this is a word from God that you should take because, listen, the absence of taking the right thing serious will lead to a failed experience and you'll put the label God on it. You'll say, I prayed. How many people talk like that? I prayed and nothing happened. Baloney. Baloney. Stop thinking that's true. Stop thinking that's the case. 
Man, I didn't plan on saying that. That's in your face, isn't it? I mean, who am I going to believe, you or God? Am I going to believe you or Jesus who said, if you ask, you'll receive? I'm thinking there's something wrong with the prayer. But notice a lot of times these things are qualified in Scripture. Those who get serious about it. Man, I went to church, didn't really do anything for me. Bah! People are having their lives changed all day long. Huh? Instead of throwing out the message, the power, the things that God has said, let's consider that maybe there's a tweaking of focus. Maybe there needs to be a greater weight and gravity that we put on what's being said and what's being done. And if we will, it will impact us like it's impacted others. It will be a life-changing experience to the point where we find God. When you find Him, again, you're a happy camper. And so, to recognize what things are serious, important, I want to use this word, it's a big Bible word, holy. Recognizing what things are holy in life is essential. And a very, very important thing. Distinguishing between a laughing matter and those of a serious nature can be a key component into the, the final results a person has in their life. Now, most of you know me. I'm, I'm quick to laugh it up and joke it up with the best of them. I enjoy laughing about unimportant things. You know, things that don't really matter that much. It's just funny at the moment. And if it's funny to me, I'll tell you, even if it's not funny to you. And and hope it lands somewhere good. <laughs> okay? So I, what I'm not talking about at all is not being, um, not having fun, not not doing those type of things. But what we are talking about is recognizing when the right time for that is and when it's not. What subjects should be serious and what subjects should be laughed about and joked about and, 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 and so forth. And this is where, again, it seems that young men sometimes have a tendency to not make that distinction. They'll laugh about the wrong thing at the wrong time and therefore miss out on something God wants to do. This whole idea of distinguishing and separating and noticing a difference can be unpopular sometimes in our world. I've watched some news lately, and there's a lot of discussion about equal pay. Anybody watch that and see a lot of, a lot of people talking about equal pay? We need to have equal pay. You know, they're talking about minimum wage and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I think, can I tell you what I think? <laughs> I just want to be nice. But I don't, I don't think that's the brightest thing to talk about. <laughs> I don't think that's the right approach at all. I said that pretty diplomatically. I don't know if it came out with very much force. I think that's stupid. <laughs> Why? Why? Here, here's the thing. When, when, when we want to put everything together as equal, we usually get into error. Not everything is equal, and not everything is supposed to be equal. When you talk, if you want to talk about that thing, everyone, we should have equal pay. Well, no, we don't have equal brains. We don't have equal effort. 
We don't have equal diligence. Huh? The person who sleeps till noon should not get paid the same as the person who rises early and gives themselves to something. Okay? And why do I use these kind of illustrations? The same principles are true in the kingdom of God. They really are. Not everything is equal. You know, it's like in, in, a, in, in kids' sports these days. you got the winning team. The, well, if they keep score, if they keep score, you got the winning team and the losing team, and everybody gets a trophy. That's teaching something wrong. That's not the way life is. That's not the way things really work. Unfortunately, not everyone's a winner. Hallelujah. Everybody having fun here so far? <laughs> Did Jesus teach us that? Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, what you do with your life. It's just pretty much coaster. We all end up in the same place anyway. He didn't. He didn't. I was talking to a person one time, and they were, I was trying, you know, explaining the things of the Lord to them, and, and this person did, did pray and received the Lord and thank God for that. But they, they were discussing at one point. They said, what's it going to be like when we're all standing up there in heaven and we got this person who believed this and this person who believed just the opposite of that and, and we're all there together? And I said, what made you think it's going to work out like that? Where did you get the idea that everyone's going to be there? Because it wasn't, didn't come from Jesus. It's serious. I might have a smile on my face when I'm doing it, but it's serious. It's weighty. I realize if I'm joking one minute, the next minute I'm, I'm putting my hands on someone who's got a terminal disease. I don't want this to seem light in any way. I want it to be serious, carry heavy weight, so the power of God is not hindered by my lack of seriousness. Okay? I, I, I don't joke with the name of Jesus. Okay? I don't play around with that. Absolutely would never cuss with it like they do in the world. But even even in a joking way, I don't say, ha-ha, in the name of Jesus, you know, be healed. And, you know, in a, in, in a situation where I don't mean it. Why? Well, one, because of the preciousness of who that person is to me. But secondly, that name is authority. That name is power. That name drives demons out. That, 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 that name is what sets captives free. Are you listening? And so when I need to use it in prayer, in praise, in, in, in ministry, in, in, in exercising authority, it needs to be heavy, duty, weighty with me so that there's power released. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what things are holy, what things are serious, what things are different than other things. Some people don't like the word different. Some things need to hold a special place in our mind. 1 Timothy 2.8 talks about how we should pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What kind of hands? Holy. Why did they stick that word holy in there? It sets it apart. It makes it different than other things. And so I began to look through the Scripture and uh, and draw to mind different things that came to my mind and and read different scriptures where the word holy was used. I thought that's a good word, holy. And it's attached to a number of different things in the Bible. 
Uh, let me give you some of those examples. Of course, we know God is called holy. The Spirit, remember that's His first name? <laughs> holy Spirit. And Jesus made some strong statements about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, right? I never want to, I never want to joke about those things. Or, you know, I've seen individuals talk about the Holy Spirit and use language in, in connection with that was totally improper. And I thought, hmm, I wouldn't do that. He needs, he's, there's a reason he's called holy. It means he's not like any other spirit. He's Holy Spirit. And I read scriptures about holy apostles and prophets. Now think about that. Those are people, individuals, imperfect individuals. But God calls them holy, different, different in in our minds. They hold a different place. Not just like everyone, holy. Uh, Scriptures talk about a holy or the holy commandment. I read about the holy mountain. Is there a holy mountain? Well, that, that, that reference references a time when Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus, went up to the mount that we call transfiguration. Because on that mountain, Jesus lit up. <laughs> Bright light, the glory of God came down, God spoke, a lot of cool things happened. But then when they referred back to it, they talked about it as the holy mountain. You know what it was before that event? Mountain. You know what it was after God used it? Holy mountain. Yeah, they recognized. We had an experience with God there. We met with the Lord there. This is not just some ordinary pile of rocks and dirt. This is a holy place because of the involvement of God in that particular place. Remember, Moses had that experience, the burning bush. Remember, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. What what was so special about that ground? In and of itself, nothing. God used it, though. God manifest there. He did a special work in that place, so that place took on a special, unique um, significance. It was holy. There, I think we can, we can have a different mindset towards what God uses and should than just average stuff in life. You, you know, uh, years ago, here's just a thought, all right? Years ago, in the in the church world, in our culture, things were much more formal, right? And, you know, the way people dress and so forth, those things have changed. They change throughout different times and, and, and so forth in cultures. Uh, they, they dress differently. And then in recent years, recent, you know, decades, there has been a lot of movement towards calling when someone uh, dresses a certain way to go to church. They call that legalism, and uh, that's bondage. And to some degree, that was correct, I think. I think some people were. They got into legalistic approaches, and, and they were in bondage, and they would, they would judge people by the exterior instead of the interior, and we know that that's not right. And, uh, and somehow, if you dressed a certain way, then you were in better right standing with God, and you were more holy or something of that nature. And we know that, that that's one of the things that, we, that people should get away from. But at the, at the same time, there is another mindset that some individuals have, and that is, when I'm going to get involved with something that not everything is holy, there must be a distinguishing uh, mentality towards things that 
take on a greater significance. Amen, amen. So if everything's holy, again, then nothing's holy. And when we acknowledge something to be holy, it takes a separate place in our minds, an elevated place. Now, I want to finish with these six things today. Six. I would encourage you to write these down for your own prayer and and meditation going forward in this year. These are six commitments for this year. Number one, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to prayer. A commitment to prayer. Not an occasional thing, not once in a while, but an ongoing communication with God. What have you what have you talked about today? What have you said to him already today? First Peter four seven reads, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Let's make this year. Let's make a commitment to prayer. Number two is presence. This year make a commitment to presence. What do I mean by presence? I mean the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 33, we read about Moses who said that we will not leave here. We will not go up from here without your presence. He was having a a face-to-face with the Lord. He said, we're not going without your presence. Let it be your commitment in your heart that you're not going to go anywhere this year without the Lord. Not, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going here. I've already decided. I would sure appreciate it if you'd come along. It'd sure be nice to have your blessing on what I'm doing. No, no, it's a different kind of commitment. It's, Lord, without you, I'm just not doing this. Without your presence, without you in my life, without you going here, I'm not going. I'm not going to do anything without you. It's a commitment to presence. Number three is passion. Commit to passion. We need to make what matters matter. Let the Spirit of God touch your heart in a deep and moving way. Avoid complacency regarding the things of God. Don't allow yourself this year to be settled inside uh, in, in a complacent way where the things that are really important are kind of ho-hum. So be stirred inside. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift of God on the inside of you. Let's be stirred. Let's be excited. Let's, let, let's, let's make some noise. Come on. So, and I'm not just talking about noise in here today. I'm talking about some spiritual noise. Let's, let's, let, let's have a rumble. <laughs> Come on now. Let's stir things up. When, when, in the early church, when, when they would go out and preach, there would either be a revival or a riot. I mean, uh, you, people would either be ticked off or they'd get saved. But at least something was happening. I mean, one of the greatest things would be to just to be ignored. But you don't ignore something that's on fire. When something's burning, everyone's going to pull over and watch and see what's happening. When there's some passion, a fire on the inside of us, I tell you what, it'll be, it'll be noticed in your, our own lives. It'll be noticed by those around. Number three, commit to passion. Number four, purpose. Number four, commit to purpose. I'm talking about living with intention. You are here for a reason. Don't just be pushed around through life by circumstances. Point your bow at something 
and go. Find something that is worthy of your time and effort and, and energy and money and, 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 and point your life towards it and say, I'm going somewhere this year. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to move forward with intention. So number four, commit to purpose. Number five, number five, commit to power. Number five, this is a year of power. Refuse to live life limited to what you can do. There is something greater, something stronger on the inside of you. Don't just be pushed around, like I said, through life by circumstances under the last point. But in power, it's time to step out of the boat and do some water walking. Take advantage of the power of God that works in you. Let's not entertain the mentality that we are only human. There's not much we can do. We're just weak and trying to make it through. No, 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 no. You are a spirit being born with the life of God inside of you, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. He is your help. He is your strength, your counselor, your, your healer, and your salvation. He has given you power to draw out from. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to the what? The power that works in us. Say it out loud. There is power working in me. Say it again. There is power working in me. Come on. Commit to living out of the power source. It's the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You can do much more than you can do. I can do much more than, than meets the eye, than what's available to me in my, you know, my physical uh, existence. We're filled with the Spirit of God. Number six, number six, commit to people. Number six, commit to people. We need to honor and value the God-ordained connections in our lives. God intends for us to do this thing together. We shouldn't think that every relationship, every connection we have is just by chance. It just happened to come about, happened to be. No, there are God-ordained relationships. Don't be an island. Get out of your comfort zone and invest into somebody else's life. I tell you, God intends for us to be connected. Jesus made a statement uh, and he, that went like this. He said, "What therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And we know he was talking about marriage. We was talking about that covenant of marriage. But how many understand this? God gets involved with other relationships too. Marriage isn't the only relationship that God establishes. He brings people together to, with united cause, purpose, and vision to do things for His kingdom. He brings friends into your life, business relationships. He brings a church family together. And here's what I never want to be involved with. I don't want to be separating something that God brought together. I want to value this relationship, value these connections, because God wants to use them for His kingdom. Here's what I want to do. I want to say some things. I'm not going to be quick to just throw a label on every little thing. I want to recognize, though, what's holy. What do I mean what's holy? What should have a God-level significance on it? 
And I do not treat it as just a natural decision, something that man came up with, but I treat it as something that God ordained, that He brought together, that He is using for His eternal plan. And when I elevate those things to that level, mm, this is what we're talking about. When you get serious about finding Him, man, when you seek Him and you're serious about it, man, you're going to get exactly what you're supposed to get. You will find, you will not be disappointed. Amen. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your grace, your power, and your presence in our lives. Thankful, thankful to you. Thankful for all that you do. Father, I believe that you're at work even now in our midst, in each and every person's heart. You're doing a work. You're working. You're working. To will and to do in us. That we would will and do your good pleasure. You equip and enable and empower us to do beyond what the natural man can. Oh, and thank you for doing a, for inspiring and stirring our hearts to step out of the boat. To seriously seek after you. And make you the most important thing we ever do. We give you all the glory. I thank you for your presence now that goes out over this place. A release of your glory that strengthens. Oh, that brings people into a right place and a right standing with you. I thank you that your presence now saturates and floods every mind. Every heart, every heart is touched and filled with you. I thank you for bodies being healed, legs being restored right now. Oh, I thank you for your glory. It surrounds us and fills us once again. Praise you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. All the glory goes to you. It all belongs to you. All the glory, all the honor belongs to you for every good thing that happens. Thank you, thank you Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your strength, for your ability. We give you all the glory and all the praise. All the praise, all the glory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Well, God is good. Amen.